0: Uh, Tonight's reading is from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. And it's to be found on the Blue Church Bibles on page 1195. That's 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 1 to 13, on page 1195. You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, but he cannot disown himself. This is God's word.
1: Josh, thank you for reading. Good evening, everyone. Let me let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Well, thank you that we can gather this evening as a family in Christ, as brothers and sisters uh, to hear you speak to us. We pray that you'd help us, help us understand your word, and, and we pray that we would put what your word says into practice. And we pray that your spirit would uh, work through me as I speak and give us um, yeah, soft hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mainline churches face extinction in the UK. Mainline churches face extinction in the UK. That was the title of uh, an article in a Christian magazine earlier this year. And the prediction was based on the trends in church attendance from 2015 to 2020. Established denominations such as the Church of England, uh, the Church of Scotland, the Roman Catholic Church, and the Baptist Union have all witnessed a steady decline in attendance and membership. And if this trend continues, uh, the inevitable result will be be that these churches cease to exist. The bit of encouraging news uh, in the article, however, is that in evangelical churches... Attendance and, me- and membership are actually uh, slightly going up. So numbers in FIEC and uh, New Frontiers churches, for example, they're on the rise. Right. According to this article, there does seem to be a future for Christianity in the UK, but it's not in the mainline denominations. What can evangelical churches like ours do to, do to reduce the risk of following the trajectory of mainline denominations. John Stevens, uh, one of the leaders of the FIEC, said this. In a post-Christian and secular context, theological liberalism within the church has little to offer that cannot be found more effectively in other institutions and organizations outside the church. Cultural Christianity is increasingly irrelevant. It's ironic, isn't it? Churches uh, that seek to be relevant by conforming to the attitudes of secular society end up becoming so identical uh, to their surrounding culture that they doom themselves to irrelevance. And once they're doomed to, uh, they're deemed irrelevant, unsurprisingly, of course, Very few people um, will see any point in attending or belonging to them. Friends, the the path to church growth is not the path of least resistance. What the, the UK church needs is not to become more like the world. What the UK church needs is what the Bible says every church needs it's the gospel. Last week, we saw the Apostle Paul share how, as Christians, we mustn't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the gospel that tells us about God's grace, it's the gospel that brings us salvation. So, it wasn't a surprise to see Paul telling Timothy to God the gospel. It's the most valuable thing in the world. In today's passage, We learn how we are to guard the gospel. Notice the answer there in verses 1 and 2. Let's read from verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. How do we... Guard the gospel. The way we guard it is not by keeping it to ourselves. It's by passing it on to others. Our first point is, guard the gospel by passing it on. Usually, uh, when we guard something, uh, we, we guard it by keeping it to ourselves, don't we? So if we have a cherished heirloom, such as a, a signet ring or, or a necklace... Uh, We store it away somewhere safe. Uh, We do our best to keep it away from people. But with the gospel, we don't do that. The the way we guard it is by giving it to people. Now, did you notice uh, who Paul says Timothy is to focus on when he passes on the gospel? He says that he must entrust the gospel to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. What are the essential qualities that Timothy must look out for? The people need to be reliable, and they need to be qualified to teach. Now, what is a a reliable person, according to Paul? So I think here in 2 Timothy, it's, it's someone who desires to spread the gospel and will not shrink away from suffering. Remember how last week we saw Paul invite Timothy to join with him in suffering. We see that again um, in today's, in this evening's passage. We see it there in verse 3. So Timothy is to find and train people who will pass on the gospel, even when it involves suffering or persecution. But not only is he to find people who will endure suffering for the gospel, he needs to find people who will also be competent to teach the gospel. If The mission to pass the gospel on to others, it's not going to be very successful if the people Timothy picks cannot clearly communicate the good news. So Timothy is to recruit people who are willing to suffer for the gospel and who both understand it and can teach it. What type of person is does Paul want Timothy to find? I think he wants Timothy to find gospel super spreaders. I heard someone else say that term and I thought it was helpful. Remember how during COVID uh, you'd have a super spreader who would pass on COVID to loads of people and then in turn, those people pass it on to others, and then they would pass it on to others, and we just go on and on. It was, it was a chain reaction that we, we wanted to avoid. So we used to uh, we used to try to dodge COVID superspreaders. But gospel superspreaders, we need to find them. When it comes to the gospel, we want we want to keep the R value above one. And gospel super spreaders, they're going to help us with that. Brothers and sisters, how much of a priority do we make it to invest in those who will teach the gospel to others? I'm very grateful um, that I was able to, to do an apprenticeship at um, St. Helens a Church in London before coming to Christ church. Um, So for many years, St. Helens has been investing heavily in people who will teach the Bible. They have a training scheme that runs for for two years, and in each cohort, you've got 12 people uh, comprised of both men uh, and women. For my year group, um, there are people engaged in vocational gospel ministry in places like Banstead, uh, Manchester, uh, France, Kenya, and Singapore. That's just from my year group. Um, and there are others from other year groups I know who are now in um, places like Zimbabwe, Latvia, Uganda, Slovakia, China, and Japan. And this, this scheme trains people, both um, who British residents and people who come from all over the world uh, specifically to train. I'm really grateful that they invest, that this church invests in training and training. Um, And takes this instruction here in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 so seriously. Now, here at Christ Church, we probably won't be able to do exactly what St. Helens does. St. Helens is a bigger church uh, than ours. And they have greater financial resources than we do. But that doesn't mean that we also cannot put into practice what Paul charges Timothy in these verses, we can also identify and train people who will pass on the gospel, can't we? We can do that as a church, and we can do that as individuals. As a church, um, one way, for example, in, in which we've done this uh, is through enabling those on the staff team to, to study. So David, a couple of years ago, was doing uh, the Cornhill program one day a week, whilst he was work, still working, um, also working for the church. This training allowed him to grow in his ability to teach the gospel. So that's an example of, of how we can follow Paul's charge on a, on a church level. What about on an individual level? Are there reliable people um, whom you know who are keen and able to teach the gospel? If there are, might you be able to invest in in them? For example, uh, could you help them by providing financial support for their training at Bible college? Now, there's a whole host of ways in which we can apply this principle um, that Paul is teaching here. To give the gospel to those who will pass it on to others. I've just shared a few ways. Here's another reason I think it's, it's a good thing to do. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasure, treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Friends, I think that investing in the training of those who will teach the gospel, that's one way in which we can store up ourselves treasures in heaven. In heaven, we need to remember that there are no financial recessions or crashes. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? So heavenly investments, they're savvy investments. And Jesus, he's the best financial advisor there is. Financial advisors will say, Hey, you need to invest in the long haul. There are going to be bumps, ups, and downs along the way. You need to think long term. Folks, is there a greater proponent of long term investing than Jesus? He doesn't just think retirement, pension, he thinks beyond the grave. His time arrives and blows everyone else's out of the water. How are we going to guard the gospel? By passing it on. So Paul wants Timothy to make it his mission to identify and train gospel teachers. As a church, we need to make sure that this is always on our radar. As Christians, we, we want the gospel to outlive us. We want it to, to be inherited by future generations. But folks, this mission of passing the gospel of passing the gospel on it's not an easy one. It's demanding. This is why Paul starts uh, verse three in the way he does: "Join with me in suffering." Paul wants Timothy to guard the gospel by passing it on but he also wants him to know that it will be difficult. This leads us to our second point. God, the gospel, by passing it on, knowing it will be challenging. Now you've noticed that Paul gives us three examples which illustrate how Timothy's ministry will be challenging. Let's read from verse 3. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying the Lord will give you insight into all this. What does Paul compare ministry to? He compares it to being a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Now he says it's, it's like being a soldier because a soldier reports to their officer. A soldier doesn't just do their own thing. They follow instructions from their chief. And soldiers are sometimes deployed to places that they would rather not go to. But they go because they want to serve their country. They are loyal to their nation. I think it's the loyalty demonstrated by the soldier that Paul expects gospel ministers to have. You see, a good soldier will do anything for their country. They will die for their country if they have to. They won't allow themselves to get distracted by by the things that the general public gets distracted by. Think about the Ukrainian soldiers and how they are fighting for their country, for their people. They are willing to die for their country. They are fully committed to serving. Similarly, gospel teachers are to be fully committed to serving not their country but Jesus regardless of the conditions the challenges all the temptations that they may face so that's that's the soldier what about the athlete well, an athlete has to compete according to the rules if someone is running a 200 meter race but instead of running around the track they choose to run through the middle of it what's going to happen they're going to be disqualified Even if they're the first to to cross the line, it's not going to count. An athlete is expected to know the rules and to keep them. Furthermore, uh, back in the first century, if you wanted to compete in the Olympic Games, you had to state on oath that you had been training for at least 10 months. So you, You couldn't just rock up and compete you did that, you might bring the standard of the games down. So you had to have undergone intense physical training. So competing as an athlete, it requires tremendous discipline. You need uh, the discipline in order not to cheat and the discipline to train hard for months and months. In Christian ministry, discipline is also required. Discipline to do ministry the Lord's way. A minister should teach the gospel. A minister should teach God's word. They need to be disciplined in doing that because they're going to face challenges to dial down the teaching of the Bible, especially on controversial subjects. you know that's the case today. It's probably why many of the mainline denominations, they dial down what the Bible teaches on controversial subjects. And then what happens? They think, oh yeah, this will get more people into our churches. The opposite happens. A gospel minister must be loyal like a soldier. They must be disciplined like an athlete. And finally, they have to be hardworking like a farmer. Many of us, um, I think, will never know how hard farmers actually work because uh, we've never witnessed it. But farming requires painful toil. As a farmer, you need to wake up early uh, to tend to your crops. And you need to plan months and sometimes even years ahead. You often have to sow seeds that will only bring about harvests much, much later. And during subsistence times... If you, uh, if you didn't farm, if you didn't work hard, well, you're probably not going to have food. As a farmer, you have to be hardworking, and you need to be patient. You see, these, these images of uh, the soldier, athlete, and farmer, they're, they're, I think they're all meant to show one thing. Gospel ministry will be tough. Similarly, today, gospel ministry will be challenging. And if you don't believe me, uh, just try preaching through some of the passages of 1 Corinthians. Gospel ministry requires a lot of studying. It requires sacrifice. I can think of some of my friends and um, some of the sacrifices they've made uh, to do gospel ministry. I know a guy who, um, he's now in his 30s, who a few years ago, he... Less than 10 years ago, he moved to the U.S. Uh, to work at NASA as an engineer at NASA. He's now back in the U.K., a training to do gospel ministry. He gave, he gave up a job that people would kill for to use his gifts to do gospel ministry. He was willing to count the cost for the gospel I know another guy who moved to China to do ministry in an underground church. Folks, as you know, um, that is not an easy context in which to do gospel ministry. See, guarding the gospel is challenging, but it's crucial. Timothy has just heard that doing, doing gospel ministry is going to be hard. What is going to keep him going? What is going to help Timothy to persevere in the midst of the challenges he will face? What will allow him to embrace suffering for the gospel rather than to avoid it? He's going to constantly have to keep an eye on the future. He's going to constantly have to keep an eye on the future. Our third point is remember The future. Look at me at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word isn't chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You might wonder why I um, I've got remember the future and not remember Jesus Christ. Uh, that is how Paul begins verse eight, isn't it? The reason I've got um, remember the future as the heading is because these verses are all about the future and how it has been shaped by. Jesus. So Paul begins by giving us a super succinct description of the gospel in verse 8. And then in verse 9, he says that it is for this gospel that he is suffering. And then in verse 10, he describes the effects of the gospel. What are they? Because of the gospel, the elect will be saved. Why is Paul willing to suffer for the gospel? He's willing to suffer for the gospel because of what Jesus, the promised Davidic king, has accomplished through his death and resurrection. Because this king died and rose, God's chosen people, his elect, will be saved. Friends, there is no doubt whatsoever in Paul's mind that God's people people will experience salvation. People will be saved because God has chosen people to be saved. This means that Paul's work is never in vain. He knows that God will definitely rescue people through his holy word. I think this is why it says in verse 9 that God's word isn't changed. Even if God's messenger, Paul, is chained, God's message, the gospel, that isn't locked away. Even if Paul is executed by the Romans, the gospel will live on. Folks, 2,000 years later, 2,000 years after Paul's death, here we are. God's word remains unchained. In fact, it is more unchained today than it has ever been. Think about the number of languages that the Bible has been translated into. Think about the number of people in the world who have access to the Bible. You see, by suffering for the gospel, Paul knew that he was on the winning side. Whether he would remain in prison, whether he'd be Put to death, God's word, he knew, would continue to rescue God's elect. And if one of us were to die today for teaching the gospel, would that be the end of us? Even if it were to reach that? What does Paul say in verse 11? If we died with him, we will also live with him. We might suffer now for the gospel. Some will die for the gospel, but we will enjoy glory later. You see, if Timothy, if Timothy is going to be willing to suffer for the gospel, if he's going to be willing to dedicate the rest of his life to guarding the gospel then he's going to need the motivation of the future. Too often, we live in the here and now. And so although we might be willing to make sacrifices uh, for things that will give us rewards um, in the short term, we rarely have the discipline to make sacrifices for things that offer benefits in the long term. Tragically, Uh, Paul saw some of his own friends turn away from Christ. They decided not to pass the gospel on anymore. People who had once played for Team the Gospel left on a free transfer to play for Team the World or Team the Flesh. They joined the losing team. They joined the team doomed to relegation. See, Timothy must be careful not to make the same move. Paul says in verse 12 if we disown him, if we disown God, he will also disown us. That seems to have been what happened to Hymenaeus and Philetus, as we'll see next week. Timothy must ensure that he doesn't follow in their footsteps rather is to endure suffering for the gospel by remembering the glorious future. You see, the future's bright. It's not orange. The future is bright. The future is salvation. Church, let's do all we can to guard the gospel, no matter how challenging we find it. It is worth it in light of the future. By the way, if, um, if you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, I, I hope you can see the relevance of these, wor- of these verses uh, to you too. Those who live for Jesus, those who, who live with him, those who surrender to him as um, their officer, as their master, they'll be saved. I hope you'll consider doing that. See, Jesus is the only one who can, who can save us. If we disown him, he will disown us. If, you, if we reject him, he will reject us. And you might think, whoa, that's, a bit un, that's harsh, that's unfair. It's, it's totally fair. It's totally fair. You're a sinner just like I am. And God is just. So he can't turn a blind eye to sin and pretend it's okay. It's not a big deal. I hope you'll consider putting your faith and trust in him because he can rescue you and give you a very bright future. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for oftentimes... Just being concerned about the here and now, about today, and not thinking about the future. And even when we do think about the future, we don't think about, we don't think far ahead enough. Father, help us to think about that incredible future, our glory. And so we pray that that would cause us to have a passion to see the gospel spread and to invest in whatever ways we can in its advance. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, uh, Daniel. So remember the glorious future. Three of our songs that we've already sung uh, this evening have made reference to eternity, to truths that stand forever. And uh, our final song this evening. Going, it reminds us of the greatest truth of the la- that, that we who belong to Christ are his forevermore. A great song to finish. So please stand. My, mine are days that God has numbered. Christ is mine forevermore.